where marriage is made and love lasts. Welcome to Marriage Unhindered with Doug Hinderer. Relationship problems? No problem. Give us a call, 888-914-9149. Need a second opinion? That's 888-914-9149. This is Marriage Unhindered. Here's your host, Doug Hinderer. All right, good morning. Welcome to Marriage Unhindered on a nice, bright, sunny Saturday in Chicago. I'm your host, Doug Hinderer. I'm here to help you live married life as God intended it and to give you some help in those areas where you might be struggling. Uh, you know, as you know, that we designed this show to help strengthen your marriage. I'm going to change that. I'm pulling an audible on that, and I'm, cha- I'm changing the tagline there. And now it's about helping you sanctify your marriage. Forget that strengthening stuff. Let's sanctify it. Let's become holy in our marriage, right? Marriage does not have to be perfect to be wonderful, but it's a pathway to holiness. That's what we're going to focus on, sanctifying marriage. So just to be clear, this is not therapy. This is simply education and conversation. Some of the uh, issues we may get into uh, may be too complex for easy answers on the show, or perhaps your challenge is too complex to heal on your own. I want to encourage you to consider therapy for the difficult situations, the tough challenges. There's wonderful science out there on how to heal marriages, and there are some wonderfully competent therapists out there as well. All right, this show is under the protection of our Blessed Mother under the title of Undoer Knots. Under that title, she protects marriages, and we always begin with a prayer to her. So if you'll join me in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Blessed Mother, take into your hands the knots that affect married couples, and with your long fingers of love and grace, undo these knots for the glory of God. Visit married couples with your grace, renew their sacramental covenant, increase God's love in them, and strengthen their bond of peace so that with their children they may always rejoice in the gift of your blessing. Amen. All right, phone lines are open. I'm taking your calls, 888-914-9149, or you can email me at doug at marriageunhindered.com. All right, so we're starting off with a big announcement, big announcement. Young Thomas, here we go. The Marriage Unhindered website is up and running, marriageunhindered.com. So you get links to past shows there. You get some more information about me. And you also, I have out there now the Marriage Tune-Up Workshop available for purchase 12 modules, self-paced. But it will take your marriage to the next level. So no matter where you are now, the Marriage Tune-Up Workshop can help you improve and get to a, a better uh, better level. Over time, we'll add other uh, workshops. Uh, we've got one in the works now to help uh, engage couples or seriously dating couples to discern marriage. So check out marriageunhindered.com and the Marriage Tune-Up Workshop. All right. So here we go. So, I, you know, no surprise. I know you all know this, but we are in Lent, and I hope you're off to a good start with Lent. Here we are, what, four or five days into it. Uh, and how are you doing on those resolutions so far? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, me too. Not not perfect. All right, so, but, you know, if you decided what you're going to give up or what you're going to do extra this season, I'm sure you have. Um, so here's a question. How about using your spouse's defects as your Lenten mortification? Yeah, think about that, right? So we actually, this show, we're going to focus on sacrifice and mortification in marriages as a way to observe Lent, as a way to grow in holiness this Lent. So, I mean, is your spouse the source of suffering for you at times? 
I know the answer to that is yes, because you buried someone who's not perfect. And I know you are a source of suffering for your spouse at times as well. But, you know, have you found ways to use that suffering uh, in your marriage for you to become a better person, a more virtuous person? Uh, have you found ways to forgive your spouse for his or her imperfections? If so, give me a call. I'd love to talk about it. 888-914-9149 or email me at Doug at marriageunhindered.com. All right, so one of my all-time favorite saints, um, <clears throat> excuse me, St. Alphonsus says, penance and mortification are necessary to restrain the inordinate inclinations of self-love. Indeed, self-love is the antithesis of authentic love. Since self-love is self-centered, where authentic love is other-centered, right? And so in marriage, obviously, we are called to love selflessly, not selfishly. And it's selfishness that kills marriages. And we all struggle with selfishness, of course. I, you know, it's in our nature. But I, as, as I work with couples... Um, what I find is that as selfishness increases, marital unhappiness increases as well. Disharmony increases. Selfishness just, it takes the oxygen out of the marriage because I'm more concerned with my happiness than I am with yours. I am more concerned with, with you serving me than with me serving you. And so perhaps, you know, we could use this Lent to kill off some of the selfishness that's crept into our marriages. Perhaps we can look at this as an opportunity to improve, you know, how we treat our spouse and that we could spend our Lent with a greater uh, spirit of service to our spouse. So, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis talked about four different kinds of love, and the fourth one he talked about is agape. Uh, and, you know, this is the love that you professed on your wedding day, right? This is sacrificial love. This is unconditional love. This is the love that says, I'm going to love you until one of us dies. It's a spiritual love. The other loves tend to be more carnal, more, you know, of the flesh. This is the love of the Spirit. This is the way that God loves us. This is a giving love. It's now you know, this is love that says, my focus now is on bringing happiness and joy into your world. That's what I live for now. You are my wife, and I'm going to dedicate my life to bringing happiness and joy into your world. It's unconditional. In its purest form, it's not dependent on how you treat me. Okay, I'm going to love you even when you're having a bad day, when you're cranky, even when you're criticizing me, even when you're not being very nice to me. I'm still going to love you. That's not going to end my love for you. I think the place where we get kind of the clearest view uh, in Jesus's life of agape love is um, on Good Friday when he washed the feet of the 12 apostles. And I'll take a little liberty here, but you can hear you can hear Jesus say to Peter, you know, Peter, I'm washing your feet here, even though you don't want me to, but um, in just a few hours, you're going to curse and swear that you don't even know who I am. I'm still going to wash your feet. And Judas, you're going to use these feet to go and sell me for, for a few, a handful of silver. I still love you. I still am going to clean your feet. And, and you know, you other 10, you're going to use these feet to run as far away from me as you possibly can get in just a few hours. Well, when you're running away from me, 
I want you to do it with clean feet. Come here. I'm going to wash your feet. So that's agape love, right? That's spiritual love. This is the love that makes saints. And that idea makes all the difference in how we view our marriage and whether or not we find happiness in our marriage. If we see marriage as our path to holiness, as our path to become saints, it makes it so much easier to overcome the pinpricks and the speed bumps and the, the, the harsh words that we hear sometimes and, and uh, from our spouse, right? So I think the way I look at it, I'm not a theologian, but the way I look at it in my kind of simplistic mind uh, is that saints are characterized by two things. First is they live the virtues heroically, and second is they suffer a lot. Um, and, you know, on the whole pathway, the three steps to be being declared a saint by the church, the first step is this declaration of heroic virtue, that the person practiced virtue to a heroic degree. Now, this idea of heroic virtue and of suffering, the great news about that is both of those are attainable in marriage because we married a person with defects. And, you know, that gives us the chance to practice some wonderful virtues, and it gives us a, a chance to suffer, unite our sufferings with Christ, and bring about a lot of spiritual good in the world, in our marriage, in our children, and in the world uh, at large. All right? So and this, so this is the big idea that I would like you, you know, for the next week or so to think about, to, to pray about, you know, to turn over in, in your mind. Um, if we can see our spouse's defects as imitations from God to grow in virtue. Then, then they become precious jewels not to be wasted. You know, our spouse's defects can help us grow in the jewel of patience, in the, the, the gem of kindness, in gentleness, um, in the precious stones of perseverance and cheerfulness and understanding. We're, we only grow in virtue when we get tested, when we get, you know, challenged in those things, right? And so, I, I, listen, have, have you grown in virtue as a result of your, of your marriage? Um, have you, you know, I'd love to hear your story. So give me a call at 888-914-9149. So let's talk about suffering for a minute here. Uh, because all saints have suffered, even, of course, our Blessed Mother, right? Our Lady of Sorrows, Queen of Martyrs, because suffering is the price of, of holiness. And, you know, there's suffering in all marriages. But last week, we celebrated the feast day of St. Uh, Josephine Bequita, right? And you probably know her story. Uh, she was kidnapped when she was seven or eight years old, sold into slavery, bought and sold five times. One of her owners was so cruel uh, her mistress cut deeply into her flesh with a razor and filled the wounds with salt to ensure permanent scarring. Total 114 intricate patterns were cut into her flesh. What unspeakable suffering that was, right? Unimaginable in our day and age. Years later, though, she said, if I were to meet the slave traders who kidnapped me and even those who tortured me, I would kneel and kiss their hands. For if that did not happen, I would not be a Christian and a religious today. 
Those are the words of a saint, right? And perhaps we're not there, but something to aspire to. So, But what if we could have that attitude towards our spouse's defects, which surely causes us to suffer far less than St. Paquita suffered, of course. Uh, and I'm certainly not suggesting you to stay in a marriage with physical abuse. I'm not advocating that in the least. But these normal defects of just some critical spirit or anger and harsh words or just being you know, emotionally distant, what if we could look at those uh, defects as ways for us to grow in holiness? Then we could thank God for our spouse's defects, and we could say, thank you, God, for my spouse's defects, for by those defects, I have become a saint. I have grown in virtue. So we've got a lot more on this, but we've got a caller. Let's go out to Oskaloosa, Kansas. Oh, I love that name, Oskaloosa, <laughs> Kansas. Sandra, good morning. Good morning. What can I do for you? Well, um, my my question was: we, my husband and I, uh, we've been married for five years. Yeah. Um, we're an older older couple, but we um, are taking on his two and a half year old grandson who has special needs. Um, mm. He has a feeding tube. He can't walk. He can't talk. Wow. So there's a lot of care involved. Yeah. And we're good. But I wanted to just. Um, find and you know, get some suggestions on how to to maintain our relationship while taking care of uh, this little yeah. bundle of joy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. What a great you know people don't appreciate it. what a great gift that grandson is, right? To to be able to receive so much love for you and to be the recipient of this unconditional love that you can give him because he can't give much back, right? Because of his. Right. Right. physical conditions. And so what a great opportunity for you to grow in, in some wonderful virtues with him. I think the key for the two of you is, is you, you and your husband is a, to be able to talk about it when you're getting frustrated, because as much as you love that, that little creature, it's going to be frustrating sometimes, you know, it's very difficult to take care of a special needs uh, in, infant or small child. Right. And so you're going to be frustrated. There's going to be times you're going to need to take a time out. You're going to need to go for a walk. You're going to need to, you know, just get off some steam. And it, it's important for the two of you to be able to talk about that and, and be able to give each other what you need in terms of a break from the day-to-day care of that, uh, of that young man. That'd be the first thing. And the second thing I would say is you've got to, you've, got to get real serious about having a weekly date night so the two of you can get away to a place where it's just the two of you, two adults, you can enjoy each other's company and you don't have to be constantly worrying about the care of, uh, of that little guy. Yeah. Does that make sense? Okay. Yep. Yep. So, all right. Yeah, cause, and it's, it's all a process of getting to that point where we can have someone that would be skilled enough to, sure. to watch him. Yep. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. The, the the cross yeah. you're carrying is is tremendous. Um, you know, pray to um, perhaps pray to the intercession of Saint Simon of Cyrene, right? Who helped okay. Christ carry his cross, and he could be there to help you carry your cross. And I will say a special prayer today, Sandra, for you and uh, your husband and this wonderful work you're doing with your grandson. Okay. All, right. All right. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Have a wonderful day. Thank wow. You. Yeah. How, so how difficult that is, right? People who are blessed with a child with special needs, um, the, 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 the cross, but the unconditional love that these, I, we had some friends once who had a child with special needs and, and I think it was their sixth or seventh child. And, but the, the mom said, this is the child that taught us how to love. 
We thought we loved the other ones. And then we got this one. This is the child who taught us what real love is all about. So, all right. God bless you, Sandra. All right. So let's uh, back to our topic of suffering, suffering in marriage as opposed to suffering in grandparenthood. But uh, one of my favorite saints, uh, Saint Rita, I had an aunt by that name who I was fond of, and and uh, I love Saint Rita's story too. And I so let's talk about that because she suffered a lot in her marriage, um, and um, she was married at the age of twelve in an arranged marriage uh, to Paolo Mancini. Despite her repeated requests to her parents allowed to uh, enter the convent as religious sister, they said, "Nope, you're going to get married." Uh, and you're 12. <laughs> that wouldn't work in our day and age, to be sure. Uh, she was exceptionally beautiful and could have had her pick of any eligible man in town, but her parents picked a man of wealth. That was their only criteria. We're going to make sure you marry a wealthy man. Her husband, Paolo, was known uh, to be quick-tempered and immoral and had a lot of enemies in the region. The marriage lasted for 18 years until he was murdered by one of his enemies. Okay. Uh, Rita endured 18 years of insults and abuse and infidelities. But according uh, to popular tales, through her humility, kindness, and patience, Rita was able to convert her husband before his death. She took that uh, idea that her job was to get her husband into heaven very seriously, and she prevailed, right? And so she, you know— was forced into a marriage with a pretty disagreeable human being who wasn't faithful and was pretty verbally abusive and maybe even physically abusive, but she won him over through humility, kindness, and patience. And is that possible perhaps in Lent to up our patience and our kindness with our spouse, even if we don't really feel like it sometimes? Can we use those those interior mortifications to, uh, to help us grow in the virtues of kindness and patience? I'll let you think on that thought for a minute. We're going to take a break. And uh, when I come back, we'll talk some more about suffering and marriage. Taking your calls, 888-914-9149. See you in a minute. I'm going to love you the best that I can, even when you can't stand me, even when can't even stand yourself i'm telling you i ain't going nowhere i swear don't care i'm here ain't anywhere else i'd rather be and as long as you let me i'll take the heaven all right welcome back i'm gonna love you even when you're not loving yourself i love that song we're talking about suffering in marriage and, and using that suffering as your Lenten mortification to grow in virtue and to improve your marriage. I'm taking your calls, 888-914-9149. We've got a lot of callers. I'm going to grab one right now. We're going to go out to down to Florida to Diana. Diana, good morning. Thanks for calling in. Good morning. How are you? I am wonderful. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Um... So it was it's kind of funny because I was driving my husband's car and I decided to go through the radio stations and then I found <laughs> you and I've been debating on lens and what exactly I wanted to do and then you started talking about that. I'm like, that's perfect. That's <laughs> Thank actually you. perfect. That's what I'm gonna do. Oh <laughs> uh, well you've made my day. Thank you. I I love that. And your husband will love that as well. Oh uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Ah, that's yeah, great. He definitely will. How long have you been married, Diana? 
uh, 21 years. Oh, God bless you. That's terrific. I'm very happy about that. Good deal. Well, listen, I hope that you have the best Lent ever. And as a result of that, your marriage gets stronger than it's ever been as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, this, we got married really, really young. Uh-huh. Um, we were 18 and 19. Yeah. And I, I guess the process, it was in the beginning, it was always what, what I wanted him to do and how I wanted things to change. Ah, yes. And now, like God has used as you were mentioning, he's a very patient person, meaning he takes a long time to make decisions. Ah. I'm the opposite. I like to make decisions (laughs) as soon as possible and react. And God has used that personality, that side of his personality, to make me a more patient person. Good. See? Beautiful. I've learned... Yeah, and I learned to grow. Like, every time there's something that just really, really bothers me and it's like, oh, it's driving me crazy, I've learned with you know, the power of prayer and just kind of being yeah. very persistent with God and allowing God to show me, there okay, how can, how are you using this yep. to change my heart? There you go. And yes. it, it doesn't fail. I love it. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. And that's exactly this whole idea about using marriage to grow in sanctity and holiness. And so you're a wonderful example, Diana. Thank you for calling in. Give us a call back after Lent and let us know how it goes, would you? You will do. Yes. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. All right, let's, we're going to go out to California to Kathy. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning. What can I do for you this morning? I'd like to know, uh, you mentioned about there's help for marriages. Yeah. Uh, do you know of someone? Uh, well, well, California, I don't know of anyone specifically or personally in California. But I would encourage you to go to the website Catholic Therapists with an S, CatholicTherapists.com, and they have a search button there. Um, and you can search for uh, a therapist by California. And then I would encourage okay. you to search for therapists who are licensed marriage and family therapists. And they'll have the initials LMFT behind their name. And then you get a description of each one and what they, you know, what their approach is, what their, you know, how they go about doing their job. Find one that you are comfortable with, uh, give them a call and see if you can set up an appointment. The great thing now is almost all therapists do work virtually over the internet. So it doesn't have to be somebody who lives in your town. You could work with anybody anywhere in California pretty much, uh, and they will be able to help you. The other thing I will say is, and this is really good advice, um, so much of the therapeutic benefit you get from a therapist boils down to whether or not you like that person and you feel you can relate to that person and you make a good connection. So if you find a therapist and after the first couple of sessions you, you're you not clicking, you're not liking that person, move on and find another one. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, I am seeing. All right, Kathy. Good. And we'll put a we'll put a link to um, CatholicTherapist.com uh, in the uh, in the show notes as well. All right. Good. Thank you. All right. Let's go. I you know on this topic of suffering, I, I received a uh, uh, I guess an Instagram post um, with a with a question that says you know how and I think this is an issue that a lot of uh, Couples have to deal with, um, especially wives. Um, but how do you support a significant other when they are struggling with an addiction? When do you draw the line? Really, 
uh, deep question. So I've got a special guest that we're going to use today uh, to help us with that. My daughter, Monica, is a LCPC, licensed uh, professional, licensed clinical professional counselor in Illinois, and she's done some work with the addiction population. So we'll see what Monica has to say. Let's get her in here. Monica, are you there? I am. Hello. Hello. How how's your morning going? It's it's a good morning. How's yours? <laughs> That's great. Hey, thanks for agreeing to join me here. Uh, so thanks you've got me. some experience dealing with the addiction population. So what what yeah. advice would you give to this woman um, whose significant other is struggling with an addiction? Sure. So first, I, I think it's important to put this caveat in there that there's a difference between dating and married. Mm. So if you're, she said significant other, right? Yep. So if she's dating, I would say you really have to understand that there's a difference between addiction and dependence okay. and that addiction is a disease. Yeah. And as a result, addiction as a disease is cyclical and that there will be seasons of remission and seasons of sobriety mm. and so you have to be really honest with yourself about whether or not this is something that you could have in your life for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. And I, I the advice that I generally give to people who are not yet married is, man, if there's an addiction, you probably want to give serious thought to not going forward with that relationship. Being married to someone with an addiction is unbelievably difficult, unbelievably painful. Uh, and if you're not yet committed till death to us part, probably best to walk away from that situation. So what yeah. else? What else? Well, so since your show is actually about marriage, we'll, we'll focus on that and not necessarily the dating couple. So what yeah. I would say for the spouses, right, in growing in holiness, when our spouse has an addiction, the first piece of advice is that you cannot love what you do not know. And this is actually coming from Augustine and Aquinas, but essentially what we're seeing here is that knowing or understanding leads, leads to love, love leads to deeper knowing and understanding, and then we have this reciprocal nature between the two. And so the question becomes, do you really know about the addiction? Oh. Mm-hmm. Many people believe that addiction is a moral failing. And there's a lot of anger and resentment that build up. Sure. But what we know and what the research shows is that addiction is actually a disease. And so to love your partner well in and through this, you have to truly understand what's really going on. And so my recommendation is always that loved ones go to support groups, uh, loved ones read books, okay. loved ones do research. Perhaps you meet with a professional just so that you can understand truly on a very deep level, what your spouse is going through. All right. So, so like Al-Anon or um, what is the other ones, but Narcanon or for, for people with uh, sure. narcotic addictions? Al-Anon, Al-Anon for alcohol, Ethanon for a sex addiction, mm. um, Anon for a gambling addiction and so forth. So okay. there's always family support systems for whatever avenue the addiction is taking. Love it. Okay. Yeah, for sure. You, you need help. You're not going to handle this by yourself. And if you've never struggled with addiction yourself, you're not going to understand what your spouse is going through. Yeah. Right. Great point. Right. So then I think that from this idea of, you know, 
you're not, don't go through it alone. A lot of spouses feel very alone. They sure. feel isolated. They feel alone. They feel a lot of shame. And so what shame does is that it keeps us hiding. It keeps us in the dark and we tend to pull away from friends or other support systems or people yeah. in our life because we're embarrassed. Yeah. 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 So I would say, um, the, how we counter shame is that we bring it to light. We take something that was in the darkness and we bring it to light and okay. we get support in that. Okay. And we meet with people and you either go to a support group or you get a spiritual director or you have really close friends who are going to help you not feel so alone in this journey. Well, I make, that makes all the sense in the world. It's so, these things are so difficult to do if you're all on your own. What about, what about setting the boundaries? That's always the big question, right? The, this, this difference <laughs> between enabling and yeah. loving and how do I love sure. and not enable, et cetera, and boundaries. Sure. So the first thing with the boundaries is to, I think, really understand that you are not responsible for their change. Okay. And there is a difference between supporting and loving and controlling and feeling responsible. All right. So boundaries are actually the most effective way to help you stay in the supportive role and not the enabling role. And what I mean by that is when we consider boundaries, it's really important to think about what is acceptable or unacceptable for you. For example, you may say, I can tolerate when they drink and they get a little loud, but my line is when they start throwing things. <laughs> yeah. <Great. laughs> yeah, that's a good boundary. Yeah. Right. Okay, that, well, that's a good, that's a good starting point. So that's not inherently the boundary itself. That's just, place I know I need to set a boundary. Sure. So then we think, what is the boundary? What is the consequence for crossing the boundary? And how will I hold the boundary? So mm. I think it's best to set boundaries in a collaborative way. And if they're fair and clear, yeah. your spouse or partner may not be open to having conversations about this. Mm. Yeah. They may not be open. Well, Cause they're going to have shame oftentimes, shame. right? They're going to be ashamed of what they're doing. Sure. So there is a difference between the spouse who is working towards sobriety and through their addiction and the spouse who is in denial. So yeah. all of these things that we've talked about today are not contingent upon your partner's efforts. Boundaries will be most effective if they're collaborating with you to set the boundaries. Okay. But if they're not, you still need to have a very gentle conversation with them so that the boundary feels like a clear consequence and not a punishment. Okay. Oh, that's a, a important distinction. It's a consequence, not a punishment. I'm not trying to hurt you, but there's, there's a, a line that we can't cross and you've done that. And sure. so now there's a consequence to that. Sure. So for example, um, let's say the spouse is drinking and we know that alcohol uh, research shows that alcohol increases um, some anger and some volatility, which mm -hmm. has led to increased domestic violence. So let's say things at home start getting kind of aggressive and heated and you take the kids or maybe you're by yourself and you leave. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is going to feel like a punishment. But if you've had the conversation beforehand where you say yeah. while they're sober, yeah. Hey, I love you very much. And I think in order to keep you and me and the kids safe, if you start to get aggressive, I will have to take the kids and leave. Yeah. So simply through communicating, we're showing 
a boundary and a consequence, not a punishment. Yeah. And I I think your point is really a good one, that you need to have this conversation before the consequence, while the person is, is sober or not high, uh, and they're in their right mind, so you can have a legitimate conversation. So it's not a surprise, so the person understands, yeah, I knew this was coming, and I'm not surprised by it. Yeah, so, you know, this is um, this is kind of an extreme example. Obviously, I think the boundaries that need to be set first are safety-related. Everyone should be staying as safe as possible. Yeah. But perhaps your spouse has an addiction that doesn't lead to violence, so perhaps it's um, a sexual-related addiction or a gambling addiction, mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. not becoming violent. But there are a lot of things that are happening that are really hurting you or hurting the home or so forth. And so, you know, being able to say in a really clear way when they're doing well, being able to have a conversation with them and say, you know, sweetheart, I think it's best if if you spend over five hundred dollars that I take the credit card and mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I hold cards for a period of time. And so we're showing some um some clear expectations okay. and what will come from those clear expectations. Good deal. All understanding that this is not coming from a place of punishment, nor should it be coming from a place of controlling them into sobriety. Got it. All right. All right, cool. I'm at a, I, I need to take a break here. Monica, uh, give me your top two or three summary points. Oh, um, you <laughs> cannot love what you do not. Okay. You are not alone and set healthy boundaries. Beautiful. I love it. All right. If people wanted to reach out to you, Monica, how can they find you? You can find me at my website, monicahinderer.com, or you can send me an email. It's monica at monicahinderer.com. And then I have some resources that I can probably send your way and uh, you can put them in the show notes for everybody. You got it. Wonderful. All right. Good talking to you. Thank you. I love, (laughs) I love the work you're doing. I love the lives that you're touching, the people who you're helping to bring some healing into their to their world. Thank you for your contribution, my daughter, Monica. I wish I could carry a tune. Ah, that's a good song. And I, listen, I, uh, thank you, young Thomas, for that just a kiss goodnight. Um, so I'm going to jump to a uh, to an email that came in uh, because it deals with that topic. And I didn't know if I'd get to it, but I'm, I'm putting it to the top of the list here because of that song. All right, so I have a question about dating. Uh, how do you get comfortable with dating? And when is the right time to initiate affection? I'm still a young man. And when I was even younger, I thought I'd be great at dating. However, after one attempt, turned out I'm terrible at it. Uh, well, most of us guys were terrible at it when we started. Uh, I think I was letting my fears of others judging me come in. Yeah, of course. And fear of rejecting. Yeah, of course. Lack of self-confidence. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, not knowing what to do. Um so I was told, I guess, by this young lady he was dating, that the relationship wasn't getting past the friend point and maybe it would work out later. 
as I look back, we were quote unquote official for a few months. But during these months, I didn't feel comfortable doing much except talking and going out. I never took the initiative to kiss her, hold her hand or hold her because I didn't know that it would be okay. I'm a Catholic and she was too. And both of us are very strong in our beliefs. And I didn't want to do anything that would be sinful or anything that would lead to sin. But I think she wanted more. Any advice? Well, yeah, listen, I your job, your job, young man, is to protect the the women in your life. And not just them physically, you know, if a you know, guy shows up to, you know, mug you, but to protect her soul. And so you always want to err on the side of protecting her soul and not coming even close to anything that would be potentially sinful or that might put her in an awkward position. So bravo on that. Your question about kissing, when do you do that and initiating physical affection? Um, you know, it's got you got to be careful. Um, and I think part of it is to, you, it's okay to talk about it and say, hey, would it be okay if I held your hand? Would it be okay if I gave you a hug, you know, at the end of the, the end of the date or if I gave you a kiss on the cheek or whatever? Um, it's okay to talk about that and say, hey, I, I sure would like to, but I don't want to do anything that might uh, offend you or upset you. I think that's good. Kissing gets into a slightly different realm. I mean, passionate kissing, real occasion of sin there that can lead to some things that you don't want to do, and that could certainly offend our, our good God. So, you know, kissing, I mean, the way I was always taught, you should kiss your girlfriend the way you would, you know, kiss your mother or your sister. Um, yeah, that's, you might want to go one step further than that, but not much further than that, especially early in the relationship. So I think better to go slow. Uh, and I think uh, if the young woman didn't respect the fact that you were taking good care and protecting her, then perhaps uh, you're best to look elsewhere as well. So, uh, and part of this is just the learning curve of starting to get into the dating world. So thank you for your email. And, uh, I hope that helps hang in there. Uh, Keep dating. Don't give up on it. Friendship comes first. You're doing it in the right order. Develop the friendship. Develop the story gay, the kindness, love. And uh, don't worry about the arrows or the physical love uh, until you get much further down the road. All right. Listen, I want to uh, I want to get back to this idea of suffering in marriage. Um, and uh, you may or may not have heard of a guy named Reginald Garagou Lagrange. Well, Gergou Lagrange was the spiritual director of some young seminarian by the name of Carol Waitiwa, who went on to become the great St. John Paul II. He wrote a book called Knowing the Love, and I, I took an excerpt out of that, and I'm going to reword it a little bit, but I think it really kind of gets this point across that I've been trying to make today about using our spouse's defects as opportunities to grow in holiness and, and maybe really tie that into the season of Lent. Um, and so this book, Knowing the Love, is a collection of retreat talks that he gave. And in a chapter on sin, he says, we also hear sometimes this reply in monasteries. And I guess he was giving this retreat to, uh, to monks at a monastery. Uh, and we hear this reply, quote, I can't do otherwise. Do you want me to be like a son under a superior who doesn't appreciate anything that I earnestly do, who doesn't like me, who has no concern for me? I cannot. Do you want me to love as a brother this religious who has not, who has been jealous of me and has sought by all means to humiliate me? I cannot. There are repugnances that cannot be conquered. And then Gergou Lagrange goes on to say, I cannot. Rather, we should say, I don't want to. My will is too weak. So let's change the wording of that, of his thoughts, and apply it to marriage. Here we go. We also hear sometimes the reply in marriage, I can't do otherwise. Do you want me to be a wife to a husband who doesn't appreciate anything that I earnestly do, who doesn't like me, 
who has no concern for me? I cannot. Do you want me to be a, a husband to this woman who has said critical things to me, who has sought by all means to humiliate me? I cannot. There are repugnances that cannot be conquered. Could those words be applied to us? I cannot. Rather, shouldn't we say, I don't want to. My will is too weak to accept that mortification. My will is too weak. I I must fight back. I must demand my rights. I must be treated better or else. Or or else what? I'll, I'll stop loving you. I will treat you the way you treat me. If you're say cruel things to me, I'll say cruel things to you, I, or I'll ignore you, or I'll leave you, or I'll divorce you. Perhaps it would be better for our soul, for our holiness, if we saw our spouse's defects as imitations from God to grow in virtue. Patience, kindness, chastity, gentleness, perseverance, cheerfulness, understanding, just to name a few, are all virtues that our spouse's defects can help us to acquire. Then, then we could say, thank you, Lord, for giving me a husband who doesn't always appreciate the things that I earnestly do, who doesn't seem to like me at times, who seems to have no concern for me at other times. Because of him, I have grown in patience and gentleness. Thank you, Lord, for giving me this wife who has criticized me and has sought by all means to humiliate me. Because of her, I have grown in humility, and gentleness. How much more peace, my friends, would you and I have in our lives if we could practice heroic virtues in our marriages? And what a higher place we could secure for ourselves in heaven if we could practice this heroic virtue in our marriages. So uh, as we're coming close to the end, we still have some time, but I wanted to leave that thought with you. And I've got another email here that I thought we could dive into on this topic. And she starts off, this is from a woman, uh, good afternoon, we've been married for five years, we have two daughters, uh, one and four, we've been struggling so much all throughout our marriage, but it continues to get worse. I thought we were perfect for each other when we first started out, but we definitely didn't have a strong faith, and there were lots of things we didn't quite know or understand about each other and what our future would be like. Now that we have two young children, I'm taking seriously the example we're setting for them and how we're raising them to be children of God. My husband is not uh, one on is not on the same level as uh, I am spiritually, if if any at all. I just listened to your show on February 3rd and the four kinds of love and the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Every one of these and all the examples you talked about are problems in our marriage. The constant verbal abuse and blame towards me makes it so hard for me to love him, and we're never happy with each other. Many of our behaviors and beliefs, uh, many of the behaviors and beliefs my husband uh, has, I, I don't agree with, and I don't know how to help him. I'm seeking your help and prayers because I want our children to live safely and in a loving family. That's that's tough. You can feel the pain. You can hear the the sadness um, in this woman's email. And I my my first thought is get professional help. Get a therapist who can help you. Get a marriage counselor who can uh, help you. And I when I first started doing therapy with married couples, I, I was surprised at how many couples I was working with who had only been married a year or two, you know, a short amount of time. And I thought, boy, how could it go bad so fast? But what I found was 
those couples were able to fix whatever was broken very quickly because they didn't have years, decades of bad patterns and bad habits. And so I would encourage you, go out to catholictherapist.com and find a good therapist in your state who you could work with. Early intervention is the key, all right? That's first thing, get some help. Um, second thing is, um, I, I, I talk to my couples about using a, a very specific, uh, I call it the formula that seems a little bit stiff, and I guess it is at the beginning, but it's a three-part formula on how to talk about some of the things that are bothering you and that are hurting you. And the, the, the first part is the words, I feel. And then you label the emotion. I feel sad. I feel angry. I feel frustrated. I feel frightened. I feel. And the second part is when you. So I feel uh, worried when you come home late and don't call and tell me you're going to be late. So I feel when you. And then the third phrase is, and I'd like to ask you to please. What it is you'd like your spouse to do different next time. And so um, so I feel worried when you come home late and don't call, and I'd like to ask you to please call if you're going to be more than, oh, say, 15 minutes late. It's a gentle way to talk with your spouse about something he or she might be doing that's causing you some some negative um, emotions. Um, so that's a thought. And I so it, it, for this particular uh, uh, email, what I'd say is sit down with your spouse and say, listen, I'm— I'm feeling very unhappy in this marriage, and I know that you are as well. And I know we both want to be happy. Um, you know, we didn't get married to make each other miserable. You know, we got married because we thought we'd bring so much joy and happiness into each other's world, which we did for a while, and somehow we've gotten off track. And then I'd, I'd ask the following two questions. What's one thing you would like me to stop doing that would make you happy? What's one thing I'm doing now that you want me to stop? And what's one thing I'm not doing that you would like me to start doing? And for Lent, I'm really going to focus on those two things. Whatever it is you'd like me to stop, do you want me to stop complaining? you want me to stop rolling my eyes? you want me to come to bed at the same time you do? Whatever it is, I'll stop doing that. And what would you like me to do different? Well, I don't know. I'd like you to greet me at the door when I come home from work. All right, you got it. Whatever I'm doing, when I hear you you know, pull in the garage, I'm going to meet you at the door. I'm going to give you a hug and a kiss. And then perhaps your spouse will say to you, well, okay, what's one thing I should stop doing? What's one thing I should start doing? And then you can share that. And then one by one, you start chipping away at these things that are causing disharmony and sadness. And then the last thing I would leave you with is um, pray to his guardian angel. We don't use our angels in our marriages nearly enough. I mean, he's got one, you've got one. Get those angels working on helping you overcome all this disharmony, okay, uh, and uh, to get off on, on, uh, on, on a better start. All right. So there you go. That's, uh, that's my thought on, on, uh, on suffering in Lent. I, you know, the USCCB, the, our bishops here in the United States, say that, that we're called not only to abstain from luxuries during Lent, like chocolate. I love M&Ms. Uh, and, uh, but to true inner conversion of heart as we seek to follow Christ's will more, more faithfully, right? Um, and, you know, if, um, if you had a true inner conversion in your heart towards your spouse, would that improve your spouse's life? Would that bring more happiness into your spouse if you were able 
to see your spouse with greater love and appreciate your spouse's defects as invitations from our Lord to grow in virtue. So I think, you know, in Lent, prayer, fasting, almsgiving. So here's the question. Could you spend more time praying for your spouse? Could you say a rosary? Could you say just one decade of the rosary, perhaps, for your spouse? Uh, And fasting. Could you fast from negative thoughts about your spouse? If every time you have a negative thought about your spouse, counter it with a positive thought. Or fast from making negative comments about your spouse, either to your spouse or to someone else, right? So fast from negative thoughts or negative comments. And almsgiving, could you give a kindness to your spouse? Can you give one kindness to your spouse every day for 40 days? All right? So there you go. Pray more, fast more, and almsgiving. All right, it's been a real pleasure to be with you all today. Um, And um, I, uh, you know, I just want to thank you for listening. And until next week, just please remember, marriage does not have to be perfect to be wonderful. There's a solution to everything that is hindering your marriage. You'll find those solutions right here on Marriage Unhindered every Saturday at 11. And check out the marriageunhindered.com website for past shows and for the Marriage Tune-Up Workshop. I will see you all next week. Have a wonderful and a blessed week, everyone.